folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. We're talking with the economist Dean Baker. We've talked with Dean Baker several times before. A year ago, uh, it was almost a year ago that we talked to him about what was happening before the Biden administration had really um, gotten any of their plans through, before it was really quite clear. Um, and he had a lot of interesting things. And one of the things he said was that inflation was was worrisome, but he thought it would be managed. We now got a situation where people are getting very concerned about inflation. Uh, Dean Baker is a senior economist at the Center for Economic and Policy Research in D.C. Um, it's um, a great uh, a great group. It focuses on uh, having explaining economic policies in a way that ordinary and intelligent folks can understand. I recommend going to their website and and looking at the re- most recent articles. Also, uh, Dean has a Twitter account, which pulls up a lot of interesting stuff. So both of those are, are things that you can contact with. Uh, Dean, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Sedona's beautiful, and uh, and uh, this time of year, it's incredible here. But people are, are concerned about what's happening with the economy. They're concerned about... Um, uh, Biden economics, I guess you'd call it, the, the Biden economic plan. And I'm talking about folks who are moderate to very, very liberal, progressive Democrats. And they're a little concerned. So what can what can you say about that? How can you address that? Okay, well, two parts. Obviously, I recognize the inflation story, and I'll come back to that in a second. But one of the things that it has just amazed me has gotten so little attention This is a golden labor market for a very large segment of the workforce, for probably the bottom 30, 40 percent of the workforce. I'm not just talking about people with no skills whatsoever. I'm talking about people might be earning, you know, 17, 18, 19 dollars an hour. They have their choice of jobs. This has not been the case in half a century. So you're seeing workers quitting jobs in restaurants and hotels where they get low paid, their boss is obnoxious, the customers might be rude to them, and of course we know we're still in the pandemic and you know people aren't adhering to mask requirements and they're being rude if you try to enforce it. So people, workers feel they can quit their job. And I'm just thinking, that to my view is kind of fantastic. And that's gotten almost no play. And I think, when I'm saying play, I mean media coverage. And I think that's because who determines what's in the news? So those are the people paying the higher prices, and they're unhappy about that, which I understand. I don't know who wants to pay higher prices. But the point is, for a very large segment of the workforce, this is a boom economy. It's a golden age, like nothing we've seen in you know many people's lifetimes. I'm old enough that I could remember back to the 60s, but that's that's a long time ago now. As far as the inflation, this is this polish story that everyone's heard about. Um, the the items, you know, the crate containers uh, piling up at the ports. Uh, we know about that. Uh, that will pass, though. I mean, you had a big rush. People were buying all sorts of things. People were buying cars and appliances, uh, refrigerators, televisions, whatever it might be. That created a big backlog. But we will get through that. And it's just kind of common sense. If you bought a car in July, not many people are going to go out and buy another one in December. 
Um, same for the other things, refrigerator, television set. So we are going to get through that. And where we've seen the biggest inflation, it has been in those items. And what's going to happen is at some point, and I don't have the crystal ball, but I'm guessing probably not too far into 222, we'll have worked through the backlog and prices in those areas are going to come down. I don't know, come back, back to exactly where they were pre-pandemic. But the big run-ups in prices that we've been seeing in uh, July, August, September, we'll get another report out uh, for October and Wednesday, um, that's, that's coming to an end, and those will be in large part reversed. So I'd say this is very much a temporary story. And one, one more thing to throw in on that, people are saying, oh, Biden was spending too much. This happened everywhere. So you've seen the same run-up in prices in Germany, in, in uh, UK, you know, pick anywhere in the world, you've seen the same story. They didn't have a big spending program. So if you want to yell, oh, Biden's spending all this money, it caused inflation. Well, Germany didn't spend all the money, and they got the same inflation. So that story just doesn't fit. Yeah, they got e- even worse inflation. I think to go back to your first point, in anybody who's worked in uh, in those kind of, they call them menial jobs, but in the fast food industries, uh, it, it's hard to understand how, People put up with that grueling work day after day, boring work, and they've done it because they sort of have to. And now there, it really is a golden age. Certainly, I'm, I'm, I have never seen any market except maybe in the early 60s where, you know, your labor, you could kind of pick your pick your place. But I understand why people are being picky about going back to work. And and certainly here in Sedona, you see the labor uh, shortages. The local Whole Foods had to close down their uh, the restaurant part of it because they couldn't find workers. And when you go in places, the service is slow. People are new. Everywhere you go, somebody is, is probably a new arrival. So you see the impact of it, but I, I think particularly people at the top who've never been in that situation, who've never worked those jobs, misunderstand or underestimate the amount of pure discipline it takes to go in every day to a job that, that's awful, a boss who's kind of abusive. And even if the boss isn't abusive, the work, even if they try to make it good, is still, it's still extravagantly boring. Um, yeah. I, I, I've never sure. seen this in my lifetime, Dean, and I'm older than you are. Um, I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm, I'm glad people are making choices and, and stuff, and it, it, I think it's wonderful. And I, I think you're right. The, the press is not reporting that side of it. They're not reporting all the good that this being able to choose your job has. Um, it is true that if you're in a place like Sedona with lots of tourists and very expensive housing, when we moved here, the housing was pretty moderate. Now it's very, very expensive. They have trouble getting workers because that, nobody who's working can afford to live here. So there are shortages. I think some will, will remain. But I think your point that how much good this thing is doing to ordinary folks is underestimated. And it's underreported because... The people reporting it are so far from being in that situation. Um, yeah, I, you know, I have to say, not to pick on particular people, but I've been watching CNN. I don't usually watch much TV. I guess it's ever since the election because I you know, want to keep up to date on whatever the latest news was. And I, I see their anchors screaming about the inflation. I, I looked it up. Their anchors get like 5.6 million. And I'm thinking... 
So you're upset that you get $5.6 million a year, and you just think it's horrible that here's this person who might have been working for $10 an hour, sometimes less, and now they could have their choice of jobs and get 12 13 14 an hour. I, I mean, to my mind, it's almost obscene. It's just like, could you really be that out of touch with where most of the country, or at least a very large part, I understand everyone's not working for 12 an hour, but uh, this is a large part. I'm not talking about, you know, you found a poor person who's in poverty, and most of these people aren't in poverty, but, you know, they're struggling, and now they have a choice. And I think that's fantastic, and what I'm really hoping is that this, we will see changes in the workplace, so employers are going to say, okay, I can't have a horrible workplace if I want to attract workers. And even once we get through, because I don't expect the same sort of shortage to persist for, say, six months or a year, so even once we get through this period, I mean, I hope we still have a tight labor market, but not perhaps this tight, um, you'll have improved workplaces so that those jobs won't be so horrible. They'll both pay better, and they'll be structured so the work isn't so demeaning. There must be ways to do it, you know, whatever it is, whether it's McDonald's working at the counter and stuff. I understand there's a lot of solidarity among people that work in fast food together. And I understand that there are non-economic factors, which are, which are also uh, that feed, feed them uh, with, with uh, energy. And, but uh, the depth of the worrying of a lot of these jobs, it must be some way to restructure them so they're better. And anyway, I I totally agree with you. People are out of contact. One of the local hotelers told me that he's paying the, the women who clean the rooms, etc., uh, $25 an hour because that way he makes sure he has his employees and other people, and particularly in industries like uh, restaurants and hotels are really short of employees. And I think, folks, if you travel, you see that the rooms are not as clean and so forth and so on. But I, I think that I think that Dean Baker's making a very important point here of the positive nature of, of of what's happening. So, having talked about positive stuff, how about inflation? Um, should people be worried? I think you think it's going to pass. Uh, last year, when I talked to you, you said it was a danger of inflation, but you thought it would be manageable. But I, I take up your point that. The inflation seems independent of anything Biden's done. Huh. Yeah, and you know, as I say, we could break it down by goods. It's overwhelmingly the story of these durable goods, you know, the cars, the television sets. We had the, I think people have heard the story at this point because it's gotten so much prominence that there was a big fire at one of the largest uh, semiconductor factories in the world in Japan back, uh, I think it was in February, in any case, sometime back. And that idled a huge amount of capacity, and we just do not have a lot of excess capacity in semiconductors. So you had two things going on at the same time. On the one hand, one of the largest producers of semiconductors was idled. At the same time, you saw a huge worldwide surge in demand, not just the U.S., you know, in Europe, everyone, they weren't going to restaurants, so instead they were buying TVs and cars. I mean, that's understandable. I mean, that was the pandemic. So this was an unusual, extraordinary confluence of events, but we're going to both get through the buying spree. We're largely through that. And then on top of that, these factories, you know, new factories are coming online. It takes time. They can't do it overnight, but they are coming online. And the plant in Japan, I don't know their timeline, but they will get that back up and running. So that's, that's a one-time story. Um, after that, I expect that we will see, as I said, I think a lot of the prices that have run up, you know, car prices, used car prices have just gone through the roof. There's stories of used cars selling for more than the new car. You know, you get a two-year-old car, it costs you more than the new car because two-year-old cars there. That's not going to be true, say, six months, seven, eight months down the road. 
So I'm not that worried that this is going to be an ongoing problem. I recognize, you know, if you need to buy a car today, you know, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for it. But fortunately, most people aren't in that situation. For those who are, that's bad news. But for most people who are not in that situation, and if you can wait six months, um, probably uh, the price will come down a lot. And you think that it's going to, the inflation is going to pass basically because where the inflation is, is occurring? Exactly. So it's it's relatively localized. It's, you know, these durable goods, that's the biggest source of inflation. Um, I recognize people are paying more for gas. That's, you know, kind of a, a lot of factors going in there. First off, I mean, I, I know that Donald Trump was out boasting gas was $2 a gallon when he was president. He might have missed it, but that was when the economy was shut down. So, you know, if we want $2 a gallon gas, we could shut down the economy. I mean, that makes it, I mean, that seems a rather bad trade-off. But that, but if, if we compare it to where it was before the pandemic, it's certainly higher. Um, but my guess there, too, is that we will see it come back down because more production is coming online. And a lot's gonna, a lot of this is, yeah, I mean, it's literally random. It's the weather. So if we get a warm, warm winter, which I won't be happy for because of climate concerns, I mean, I want more evidence of global warming, but let's say we get a warm winter, that would mean much less demand for, for oil and gas for heating purposes, um, which means people have more gas for their cars. Um, if it's a very cold winter, well, we'll probably see higher prices. I mean, again, that's not a good story, but, uh, you know, people want to blame Joe Biden for the weather, I guess. I, I know Fox News does, but um, that, that's going to be a random variable. Yeah, I'm, the impact of Fox News, I guess, can't be underestimated. Let's talk about the infrastructure bill since I've changed direction a little bit. Um, it it took a long time to get anything through, and we had this this fight. And those of us remember Obamacare, remember how turned off people were just because it was taking so long and all the compromises that were necessary. In any case, the infrastructure bill has been passed. I, I don't know if folks have looked into what's actually in the bill. So maybe we could talk about that a bit. Yeah, well, let me first point out something about the timing, because here, too, I've been sort of struck by the news coverage on this. It's, we've heard again and again. I, I'm not minimizing. Obviously, there are big fights within the Democratic Party. We know that you had the, the more progressives were ins- progressive members were insisting that the two bills, the Build Back Better bill that will come to, that get passed at the same time as the infrastructure bill. And that was originally President Biden's proposal. So people are acting like, oh, they pulled this out of the air. No, that was exactly what President Biden said. In fact, what Speaker Pelosi committed herself to. So they weren't being you know, unreasonable. This was what they'd been promised. But anyhow, the moderates held out or holdouts held out and they got their, the infrastructure bill through uh, separately. And it, it is striking. It was bipartisan because I, I was sort of laughing about that because for a long time it didn't look like any Republicans in the House were going to vote for it. A number did in the Senate. There were 19, I believe, including uh, Mitch McConnell, the majority, minority leader. But in any case, a number of Republicans ended up voting for it. So it was, in fact, a bipartisan bill. Um, so what's in it? Well, certainly a lot for for roads and bridges, which on the one hand, uh, those of us who are concerned about the climate are going, wow, do we have to build more roads and bridges? Big story here is repair and renovation, though. We've been neglecting our infrastructure for a long time, and that that doesn't help anyone. We were talking earlier about the uh, tunnel under uh, under the, the Hudson River connecting New York and New Jersey that was built something like 1908. Um, so this is over 100 years old. And as much as we might like historical uh, 
uh, preservation, uh, you probably don't want that for a tunnel that, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of cars. I mean, a huge number of people go through that every day. We need a new tunnel there. That was originally in President Obama's stimulus package, but Chris Christie nixed it. It required some state funding. He said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to waste our, our dollars on that. So that hopefully will go through. I mean, that's in the bill and hopefully and there won't be obstruction at the, the state level. So that's a much, much needed system. But that, that's symptomatic of the sort of road and bridges. So that's, that's what we're doing. Not to say that everything in there is useful. Inevitably, you throw something out there in political process, it's going to be this representative's favorite project or whatever. But there's going to be a lot of very useful things in there, things that are badly needed. Other areas, um, replacing lead pipes. There's large sections of the country, you know, a story in Flint, Michigan. There's a lot of places like Flint, Michigan. Um, we shouldn't have kids drinking. We shouldn't have anyone drinking water that runs through lead pipes. This is something that's badly, badly needed. So there's money in there for that. Uh, rural broadband, um, there's estimates up to 30% of the population doesn't, excuse me, doesn't have reliable broadband. And we saw how important that is in the pandemic, that so many cases, um, you had school kids, that they had to get their, their classes online. Well, if they didn't have access to broadband, that was a problem. I mean, there was a lot of creative innovation where they had buses that kids could hang out on and use those to, you know, get their lessons, you know, hear their teachers. But you don't want that. I mean, you want people to be able to get broadband in their homes. So there's a lot of money in there that should get it. I'm sure we'll still have some areas that don't have access, but deal with most of the areas that have been denied rural broadband. Um, so those are some of the major areas. I mean, there's a lot of other this and that in there, but there, those are major areas that oh, also money for charging stations. I, I knew that I was missing some things. Charging stations for cars, so we have the infrastructure for more electric cars. Um, also some money for uh, subsidies for for solar power, uh, solar and wind power. So there's a lot of you know what I think are good things in there. Again, there's a lot you know more traditional roads and bridges that seem to draw bipartisan support because every politician likes to be there at the ribbon cutting ceremony. But a lot of things that go beyond that. I'm glad to see that that some of those got through. Uh, I was talking to Max Richman of the um, what are they? What are they? The, the, Who's the group who spends their time defending Social Security and Medicare? Oh and, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know Max. So he, National what, Committee for uh, Prote- Preserving Social Security and Medicare. That's right, Committee for Preserving. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He he was talking about the 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 part of the bill. I talked with him about the part of the bill that's gone, which was the aid to care older caregivers, and the bill that was uh, it was so good in terms of human infrastructure, and and I have to admit it was pushing the, the what the word infrastructure mean, but that would have brought uh, hundreds of thousands of seniors be able to stay in their homes, their own personal homes, rather than having to move into a facility, and it would have paid caregivers who are grossly under paid, it would have helped improve it. So that got axed. Is there any chance of something like that coming back in uh, later on? It's a long shot. What what I would say is, you know, I understand, and I'm totally sympathetic to this. Everyone's thinking, this is our chance. We have to get this through. And if we don't get it in here, we won't ever get it. I don't know that's necessarily true with everything. Um, I understand. I mean, this is just if people aren't clear on this, the idea of putting everything in this big bill, the the Build Back Better bill, is that they'll do it through the reconciliation process, which just needs 50 votes. So if you get all 50 Democrats on board, that includes your senator and Senator Manchin, then you can get it through. But after that, everything has to pass through normal procedure, which means overcoming a filibuster, which means needs 60 votes. 
some of these things are popular, and it's not impossible. I'm not that I place big money on it, but it's not impossible that you might be able to pressure Republicans to support something by way of home health care. They'll throw in something that you and I don't like because they're not going to just say, oh, okay, um, let's go with home health care. They'll probably, I don't know, they'll require half of them to be uh, members of some evangelical Christian church. I'm joking there. But, but they'll find something that we won't like, and then they'll say they'll vote for it. Um, whether that's a possibility, because obviously Democrats are not going to vote for a bill that requires people members of evangelical Christian church. But, um, you know, they, they, it's not impossible, because home health care is something. People recognize this. I mean, it's not like this is some you know, far out idea. So many people have family members, parents, or or, it could be a spouse, uh, family members where they need care. And as it stands now, you have this absolutely absurd situation where Medicaid will pay to have someone in a nursing home, but they don't in general, there's exceptions, they don't in general provide home health care. And of course, it's much cheaper to have home health care than have someone in a nursing home. And almost everyone will agree it's better for the person, better for the family. So it's the, this quirk that we had it in the law. I mean, I don't think anyone, if we were passing Medicare, Medicaid today, would say, oh, we're only going to pay for nursing homes. We're not gonna. But that, that was put in, I gather, when they started the program at, the, at this point almost 60 years ago. And it badly needs to be modernized. But at the moment, at least, doesn't look like it's going to happen. But I don't rule out that it's the sort of thing that could happen down the road. So basically about the economy, you're pretty optimistic. You think that the inflation will fade as these uh, different problems get worked out. Um, I know I order a few things from China uh, for my work. And, the, you know, the time it takes to get things from China now seems to have quadrupled. And I don't know whether that's cargo issues or or what it is, but it certainly appears in this small little area that that I order stuff that something's changed, that things are slower. Will does the impact is the slower delivery of goods and services? How does that up, up affect the economy? And is it more general, or is I'm am I getting just a little tiny slice slice of the the pie here? Well, at the consumer end, it's clearly a big annoyance. I mean, I had that. I remember I ordered something. This was actually even before Biden was in office. It was uh, summer 220, and it took like three months, something you ordinarily would have expected a week maybe, you know, and it was something that was coming from China. Um, so it, it is uh, it is a problem. Now, some of that's at the production end. China has a policy of uh, zero COVID. I mean, to my view, it's crazy, but President Xi hasn't called me to ask. But uh, so, so they'll literally shut down a factory. Someone has uh, COVID and they shut down the whole factory. And as much as I agree, it's important to limit the spread. I think that's kind of extreme. But from the moment, that's their policy. And what that's meant is that a lot of the places that would ordinarily be producing goods for the U.S. Um, have, have shut down, you know, their production for periods of time. Now, other places, uh, Thailand, Malaysia, both big suppliers of various items, they've also uh, shut down because they had really bad outbreaks of COVID, um, say, about a month and a half, two months ago. Now, they're way down. Um, I always point to this because uh, many of us are yelling, vaccinate the world, vaccinate the world, vaccinate the world. And it was like, oh, you're a bunch of do-gooders. Well, I don't want to see people in these places get sick and die, but it also has a direct economic impact, and we saw that. Um, so I think it was really unfortunate that we weren't more aggressive in trying to vaccinate the world. Now, for better or worse, that's that's to some extent a moot point because the rates are way down, partly because they have gotten vaccines, but more importantly because people have gotten infected and they now have some immunity. 
But anyhow, that part we're largely through. But in terms of, you know, you and me, yeah, it's an annoyance in general. I mean, I, you know, the thing I ordered was uh, for lawns, uh, a lawn part that could take a little bit. didn't matter. I mean, I wish I had it, but it wasn't a big deal. Where it does matter more for the economy is when you're talking about inputs in the production process. So if a factory is trying to produce, uh, I don't know, televisions or tables, whatever it might be, and they need a particular uh, joint, you know, a metal joint or uh, whatever it might be, and they can't get it, well, then that slows down their whole production because they could look to try and get a substitute, and maybe they can, but that's a pain, or they have to wait for it to come, which means they have to cut back production for a period of time. So we've seen a lot of evidence in our, when, when people say supply chain, they don't just mean that, oh, we can't get the good from China or in some cases even other parts of the U.S. It's that you also have factories that aren't able to produce as much as they otherwise would have because they can't get inputs into production. So this is a big deal, and as we start to get through the backlog, which I'm hoping we're starting, I mean, it's going to be a long time, it's not going to be tomorrow that we get through the backlog, but if we start to whittle down the backlog, and we could talk about, say, four or five, six months down the road, maybe being something closer to normal, those bottlenecks will be gone. So that's going to be a really huge deal when we get there. Um, Build Back uh, America... Well, uh, I know this is not your field. What are the chances, you think, of something like that finally getting in, uh, getting passed? Is it? Build Back America, you have to, you mean the Build build Back Better? Build Back Better, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not trying to call you on the. No, the, you're right. I, I mean, just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. I, I think they're, they're overwhelmingly likely, like 80 or 90%. I mean, Manchin, I, I think I was saying this before. Manchin did put his cards on the table. He, back in July, uh, I wish Schumer had been more open on this, but he sent him a letter. He said, you know, here, here's my deal. I'm willing to go for $1.5 trillion. and he had various conditions in there. He put the cards on the table. And I, I assume he's obviously a politician. He's been around a long time, so he didn't expect that, that uh, Schumer just go, okay, we'll, we'll do that. You know, the, that was his starting point, and he's obviously willing to accept some changes. He said that. So um, he's on board. Um, so I'll be very surprised if they can't get something, you know, one seven, one point eight trillion, um, which would be a very big deal. I mean, the question, two questions. One, okay, so where's your senator? Where's Senator Sinema? I assume uh, that she's not going to say no. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't read her mind, and she obviously has made a point of being eccentric. That seems to be her main politics. So maybe she'll think it's funny that, ha, 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 you know, you, everyone's on board but not me, and you can't pass it. Maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, that's very strange for a politician, but maybe that's that, that she'll do that. But that's one concern. The other is that you have these holdouts in the House that uh, have – to my view, done everything they could to try and stymie the passage of the bill. Pelosi could lose three votes. Um, will she have more than three people who say no at the end of the day? I think she'll get it. I mean, I, lots of grounds to criticize Pelosi in different areas, but she's good at rounding up votes, and she's very good at counting votes. So she's going to know whether she has that or not. So my guess is she'll be able to get her her, her members in line. So that's why I think, you know, it's 80, 90 percent likely they will get something. It won't be what I want, you want. Um, There'll be a lot of compromises there. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a really big deal. And let's talk a little bit about what would be the impact on the economy and on on, uh, folks if the the bill does pass at a a reasonable level, not get too badly. 
Well, a, a couple things here. First off, just talking about the size, and this is, again, an area where I've just been furious at the media because they just would talk about it, and just all they did was talk about the size. They got $3 trillion, or $3.5 because that was the original bill that came out of the, the Budget Committee in the Senate. And half the time they would call it massive. And, of course, they wouldn't point out, one, that this was over 10 years, and two, they wouldn't put it in any context. So uh, I don't know, uh, people you talk to offhand, do they know what uh, $3.5 trillion over a decade is? Um, I always use my brother as a proxy because he's a very educated person, went to law school, has an advanced degree in sociology. He couldn't tell you. Um, I, and he does follow the news, too. So so if, if you say, okay, how large is this relative to the economy? And let's take the $1.8 trillion. So that would be about $180 billion a year. And all of it's front-loaded. So if we say, okay, how much is spent in 222, 223, it's probably $210 billion, something like that. We'd have to see the final bill. So how large is that relative to the economy? It's about seven-tenths of a percent of GDP. Not trivial, but it's hard to see that this is going to be runaway inflation. Another thing to compare it to, it's about a quarter of the size of the military budget. So this is not some huge thing that's going to be like, oh, my God, massive spending. That, that, that just doesn't fit. Now, what does it do? Well, one thing that seems almost certain, because everyone seems on board with it, universal pre-K. Um, that's, again, to my view, a great thing, because we know kids, it has a huge impact on kids' outcomes. They're schooling, they're, they're schooling uh, all the way through high school, college, uh, their subsequent careers. Um, it's a really big deal, especially kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, because Kids who are from you know, more wealthy families, maybe they don't need it or their parents can pay for it anyhow. But for kids who are from more moderate income, disadvantaged backgrounds, it's a huge, huge deal. It looks like we'll get something in child care. Again, nothing for sure, but that's, again, a big thing. Again, huge for the kids. And in both these cases, this is huge. We want people to work. Well, make it possible for them to work. So have their kids have somewhere where they could send their kids during the day where they'll be safe or they'll learn, they'll get a step up in, education, uh, in school. That's a really, really huge deal. So those things seem very likely as part of the bill. Also, the child tax credit, again, the 300 a month uh, credit that um, makes a huge difference, uh, particularly for lower-income families, cuts the child poverty rate in half. I mean, that's a huge deal. Here also, I've just been amazed because there have been a number of segments. There's CNN had this one the other day. They're talking about price of milk going up. Well, they got the figures wrong on the price of milk going up. They had a family that supposedly bought 12 gallons of milk a week, which seems a lot to me. But in any case, they had them, oh, my God, they can't afford it. They never mentioned the child tax credit. And the child tax credit, again, I don't think they said how many kids the family had, but presumably a lot if they're drinking that much milk. They're probably getting way more in the child tax credit than whatever they're paying in terms of higher milk prices. So these are really big deals. I mean, there's other things in there as well. And again, we'll have to see what the final bill looks like. But those are really big deals. The reporting that you're talking about is disturbing because it's not coming from Fox News, which we know will bend things one way. But it's coming from regular reports. And it, I don't know, uh, a friend of mine said, well, they're, they're, it's clickbait. They're, they're getting big, uh, sort of hysterical, exaggerated headlines just to get uh, – just get listeners, uh, watchers. I, I don't buy that. I mean, you could do clickbait the other way. That, that what, How about going to some inner city areas where people were struggling with joblessness in years past? They now have their choice of jobs. I would think that would be clickbait. You know, you have someone going, oh, I, I was working at McDonald's for three years. I never thought I'd get out, and I just quit, and I got a job across the street and got $2 more an hour. I don't know. I think that would be 
clickbait. Maybe I'm weird that <laughs> I would want to see that, but um, I'm not convinced that uh, showing someone saying, oh, milk's so expensive. And again, it, the numbers weren't even right. They weren't even close to right because we have data on it. I, maybe people had unusual stores there, so I, I can't speak to a particular person. But you, if you're going to do an interview with a person, you want their their experience to be more or less typical, not that for whatever reason they have a grocery store that's gouging them on milk. So why aren't they reporting that size? Like, it seems obvious. I go back to your point where they're not talking about the impact of the child credit on the, on the amount of money families have. And I mean, it's absolutely huge for, for, for families without a lot of means. It is a really big deal. I mean, it's taking the, what millions of kids out of, out of poverty, but it's also affecting everything the family does because they yeah, now it, have money it, to it spend has to on be things. huge. And, I, 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 I'm always reluctant to get too much into motives, but I just yeah. think that you, you have very conservative people deciding the news. So it's uh, can't speak for any individual reporter, but oftentimes the reporters aren't the ones who say, oh, I want to cover this, I want to cover that. They have producers who tell them, okay, here's what you're going to cover today. And um, if they tell them, oh, you're going to do something about the high price of milk is really hurting people, um, that, that's what they have to do. And I think the people making those calls are basically very conservative. Now, I watched, I mentioned before, I've been watching CNN. Now, they're clearly not Trump or conservatives. They're not trying to say, oh, we don't really know who won the 220. You know, they're, they're not there. But I think they don't like to see government uh, programs that help ordinary people. Um, so, so they just go on and on about massive spending, inflation. Um, one of the things, and your senator played a big role in this, that there were going to be more tax increases directed against wealthy people, against corporations, in, in the Build Back Better plan, and she insisted they not be there. And uh, much of that would have just been taking back the Trump t- 217 tax cuts, so raising the corporate tax rate part of the way, not all the way. The tax rate had been 35% corporate tax rate. They lowered it to 21 Biden was talking about raising it to 28. Manchin said, okay, make it 25. Um, your senator said, no, don't raise it at all. Um, so, um, but that would, that, that was the sort of thing that I, I don't think the people who, who control CNN want to give a lot of attention to, and they certainly haven't. Yeah, I, as someone who doesn't watch television, so that we're talking a little bit away from economics, but the reporting really hasn't been good on the impact of a lot of these things. And, and when the infrastructure bill comes into effect when it's getting when the money's flowing and things are happening do you think that they'll report the impact of the bill or will they focus on the fact that uh, um, senator x got a, a bridge to nowhere in his his state well i'm afraid it'll be largely the latter um i remember back to the obama stimulus i mean there was a lot of mockery that oh so little has gone out and I remember Solinder. I'm sure you you remember Solinder. Yes, we did a whole yeah, program yeah. on so it. So he had money in there to to subsidize uh, the development of clean energy, and we heard about Solinder endlessly. And surprise, surprise, surprise! Every time the government makes a loan to someone to subsidize clean energy, it's not going to be a winner. Well, you know who else it made a loan to, don't you? Who? Was Refresh the my memory. Power producer. Yeah. So Tesla. Yeah. Yeah, so so anyhow, but we heard about Solyndra endlessly. I suspect very few people know that, well, Tesla, 
I mean, Elon Musk is a sharp guy. Maybe he would have made it without the government loan. But the point was the government helped him tremendously, which I think almost everyone, and I'm not like a Musk Oscar lot, but the reality is they're the leading electric car producer, and that's a good thing. And that got a big helping hand from the government. But that was not what the media reported. Yeah, we reported the cylinder thing, how small a part of the investment that the government made it was and how many projects worked and it didn't and it got all the reporting. Of course, a lot of that's politically motivated. I mean, the Republican Party doesn't want those kind of investments and and they take a uh, they'll, they'll run with it as soon as they see uh, the blood in the water over something like Solyndra. But right. we but had to report on Times, it. CNN, the ostensibly neutral press. I don't expect them to be you know cheerleading for the Democrats. But if you're going to be neutral about it, fine. You could mention, you know, some of them failed. And I think we all would have expected some of them would fail. It would be pretty remarkable if the government could only pick winners. I mean, the private sector doesn't only pick winners. They have losers, too. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, the, the the big loser in this story we heard of endlessly, but, and again, it's not that Tesla was the only winner, but no doubt the biggest winner, um, that almost never got mentioned. What are our prospects now, economically, uh, uh, Dean Baker? What what are the prospects for the country over the next year and next maybe two two years? Well, I'm very optimistic, and I actually should say it's I'm not a I'm not a, I have been an outlier at times, but I'm not an outlier. I mean, look at the other projections, you know, from the the Congressional Budget Office, from um, other independent agencies. They all show that we're going to have good growth. 2022 uh, low unemployment, uh, 4.6% unemployment. Again, this is actually really good. If you go back a decade ago, um, no one would have thought we'd get to 4.6% unemployment. I mean, that, that was a really good story. We didn't get to 4.6% unemployment following the Great Recession until February of 2017. And again, the direction is downward. I don't know anyone who doesn't think the unemployment rate's not going to be lower six months from now than it is today. So I think that's a very good story. We're going to see good growth. As I say, I think we're going to get through the supply chain problems. The inflation that we're seeing today, a lot of it's going to go into reverse. So we're actually going to see falling car prices, especially used car prices. And that's going to be true for a lot of items, not everything, but a lot of items. So I think we're looking at a very good 220 true, probably a good 223. Um, we start to get out a little further, 224, I'd say it becomes harder to tell part of it because – We'll have to see what what Congress does. I mean, if uh, the Republicans retake Congress, which you can't rule out, then I think it'll be a lot harder for Biden to do things in those years. And if we need support for, uh, say, we need additional spending because the economy is weakening, which could happen, again, not a prediction, just saying that's a possibility, um, the Republicans aren't going to go along with it. So it gets a little harder when you say further out what's likely to happen. But I think the immediate prospects where we could see clearly, I think, are quite good. Yeah, I think many re- Democrats remember the fact that the Republicans wouldn't allow minor technical changes to Obamacare. Uh, and that they did that is to try to sabotage it as much as possible. And so that's the fear if the Republicans get back in power. If there are flaws in the way the legislation is drafted or things need to be modified that ordinarily would just be passed, they won't be passed for political reasons. Yeah, I mean, they're... 
uh, I hate to be partisan, but I think it's reality. Their, their agenda is to a very large extent sabotage. Um, something like uh, take a slightly, well, it's related to the economy, obviously, but immigration. Uh, they were very close to the immigration reform bill that had bipartisan support. Your senator, then uh, Senator McCain, was one of the biggest proponents. Uh, George W. Bush was a proponent of it. Um, but they decided that they wanted to have immigration as an issue. So rather than having an immigration package that it wasn't everything that I or the Democrats wanted, it wasn't everything the Republicans wanted, but a lot of common sense things that uh, certainly the dreamers, but also we've had, we have people who aren't here, aren't documented, in many cases have been here 20, 30 years, they have kids, they have businesses. It, it's close to nuts. I mean, you have to be a nut to say we're going to throw these people out of the country. So why on earth would you not try to set up a mechanism that allows their status to be normalized and eventually become a citizen? Again, we could argue what that is exactly, and they did that. But, you know, why on earth wouldn't you do that? So it's solely sabotage because the Republicans want to yell about immigration. And, you know, unfortunately, that's true of a lot of policies. Yeah, and immigration has been at a, at a high. And every time in the United States we get a very, very high level of immigration, we get a – the, and the original group was the know-nothings and stuff who didn't like Irish immigrants, if I remember correctly from my history yeah, classes. Yeah. But it, you always get those groups, and, and immigration has been been high. I understand particularly among rural white Americans who don't get out in the cities, you know, and don't get all the positive feedback for having immigrants, whether it's good food or whatever, people to work on your house, they don't, they don't get the positive. And so I, I, I think that they're very fearful. And so just right outside of a little city where we live in, I think you find people who are, um, whose view of immigration is totally negative. But I think your point is really important. It, it, liberals, Democrats, Republicans, if they really want to move ahead, have to come up with a compromise, right? Yeah, and, you know, again, it requires some amount of goodwill. So, I mean, this isn't everyone sits, you know, kumbaya, we're going to sit together and start singing. But the idea is that we have a problem, everyone recognizes it, and there's some common features of the solution that, again, everyone who looks at it seriously, even, I mean, I don't know what Trump would say, who knows, he doesn't pay attention to real issues, but, you know, anyone who's not utterly nuts goes, okay, we have 11, 12 million, I don't know what the latest estimates are, people who are undocumented, again, many of those have been here for decades, so we're not going to kick them out, so what do you do? Because no one one could think that's a good story, that people have to worry every time they get a traffic stop, in many cases they're not paying taxes, we'd rather have them pay taxes, and we want them to have access to social services, and as well an issue with uh, the pandemic. Uh, Are people going to go and get tested? Are they going to go and get a vaccine? Well, if they're not documented and they're worried that, oh, they might have to give their name and they ask for a social security number, I mean, they don't, but they might worry that they're going to, so people don't do that. Well, we want them to do that. So... We don't want that status, and everyone recognizes that who's serious. You know, I realize there's some nuts who are going to say, oh, we're going to ship them all back to wherever, but that's not a story. That's not a realistic story. So, you know, you need to approach this with, like, okay, we're going to deal with the issue. And where it stands now, the vast majority of Republicans just want it as a political issue. They don't want to deal with it in a serious way. Yeah, it's a powerful political uh, issue for them. Well, we've only got two minutes uh, left. Enjoy talking to you again, um, and hopefully we'll have you on in, 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 
a year from now or six months from now. Yeah, and then you can laugh at me if everyone turns everything. Turns no, out to I, I thought you were very uh, realistic we'll, a year we'll ago. Hopefully things will be looking good then. I thought you were very realistic a year ago about talking about the possibility that there would be inflation, but that you thought it would be manageable. I thought that was a really good call. Um, folks don't know Dean Baker is one of the people who uh, called the um, big uh, housing crush in 2008, the big crash. He's one of the few economists who sort of saw it coming. So uh, I, I wouldn't dismiss his, his projections out of hand anyway. Um, all right. Thank you very much for being with us. And um, I have a few announcements. Um, go to the Democrats of the Red Rocks um, web page. They have all of their programs there. And the Verde Valley uh, County Democrats, the Avapai County Democrats, visit their website. There's a tremendous amount of information, folks. Um, I hope that all these groups will be having in-person meetings soon. And uh, we also have um, a little button on our website, not on the Facebook, but on our regular website uh, for donations. And we would really appreciate your help. We have to pay for every minute um, that we broadcast and have done it for 10 years. Um, we've lost two of our strongest supporters. So we really need folks to support us. We really would appreciate it. Um, and uh, we'll be having a fundraiser for the first time in, I don't know, two, three years uh, in, in January. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Dean Baker, for calling in. We appreciate talking to you again. Goodbye, folks. All our shows on vvid.org. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.